I'm Rick Dedarian, and you're listening to Realms of Memory. In May 1980, the city of Gwangju in South Korea erupted in violence. Shocked by the brutal suppression of student protests against the threat of renewed dictatorship, the citizens of Gwangju, South Korea's sixth largest city, seized weapons, formed their own army, and liberated the city from government control. The euphoria created by this victory against authoritarian rule was short-lived. Less than a week later, with tacit American approval, the military returned with more men, weapons, and hardware. Within a matter of hours, they crushed the uprising, killing hundreds and wounding thousands in the process. Beyond the lives lost or injured, Seoul National University professor Heiran Shin argues that the Gwangju uprising stunted the development of the city and the lives of its citizens. State leaders directed development funds to other regions, and major South Korean businesses were reluctant to invest in Gwangju and the surrounding Jola region. Although the Gwangju uprising came to be seen as a key turning point in the struggle for democracy, its citizens were long stigmatized as opportunists, traitors, and even North Korean sympathizers. The decision to select Gwangju as the site for a major international art exhibition, or what became known as the Gwangju Biennale, was an attempt to use culture to address the city's development needs. To explore the challenge of reconciling the need for urban development with the desire to preserve the memory of Gwangju's difficult past, we'll be talking with Heiran Shin about her book, The Cultural Politics of Urban Development in South Korea, Art, Memory, and Urban Boosterism in Gwangju. Heiran, thanks for taking time for this episode of Realms of Memory. My pleasure. So I wanted to start with uh, just the question about how you got interested in the topic of the book. Right. Um, well, it was uh, uh, 1995. Um, I heard the news that um, uh, the city of Gwangju uh, is going to host uh, a Biennale, Biennale, which is a high art exhibition. Um, it's an international event. And then I was wondering, and then I was not the only one, because at that time in the 1990s, um, the, uh, the whole country, South Korea, uh, was hosting just a few, very few international events. And then if that happened, always it was a Seoul the capital of the country. And then why Gwangju? And then to us, um, Gwangju was a kind of a symbol of a democratic, um, democratic movement. And then Gwangju, um, we understood that Gwangju had been, um, undergo kind of a, like a discrimination and then disadvantages of, of urban and regional development. So it, the news came to me as a surprise. So I became curious what was going on. Um, and then I started working on the case. So you have a major cultural event in a country where there really haven't been many of these to begin with. And then you have a kind of small town where, where this is selected to host this particular event. So that has its own unique political history. So it's just a question mark. Why would that, that town be selected for this event that you think normally would be held, held in the capital? Yes. 
And then Gwangju was a uh, uh, well, it was it belongs to um, those uh, you know six um, like uh, six big biggest cities. However, among those six, Gwangju was always um, kind of the last one. And then it is development, economic development, cultural development really didn't receive attention because uh, um, regarding Gwangju. What people remembered was always the, the memories of uh, May 18, uh, which happened, which took place in 1980. And then the trauma, um, traumatic memories and the political, uh, struggles, uh, were still going on in the 1990s. So that's now, I think why. you mentioned that. May 18th is the most significant historical event in, in modern South Korean history. So yes. why is that event so significant? Um, well, there was a, a little bit, um, what well, there, there has been a democratization movement before May 18. However, um, it was highlighted, uh, in Gwangju and then it, I heard that I, I understand that it started as uh, just a peaceful, you know, college students, uh, demonstration against, uh, military dictatorship. Yeah. And then, um, however, the police, the police's responses, no, the state's response was different. Um, maybe because, maybe because there was already a perception that Gwangju and then Jeolla, Jeolla region, the Jeolla region that includes Gwangju is a province. Yeah. And, uh, Gwangju and Jeolla pro- uh, province, uh, have been, had been considered as, uh, uh, resistant, resistant and then, uh, kind of a like uh, non-elitist hmm. areas, so maybe that's why um, the military dictator government sent national troops to uh, suppress the dem- uh, demonstration, and then that's why um, that's why the physical violence was uh, uh, really significant. And then lots of people, uh, would, would hurt and then killed and tortured. Hmm. So you have student demonstrations, uh, in the city in, in, in southwestern Korea. Right. And the government responds in a very heavy handed way, right? To, to these student demonstrations. And that yes. seems to what that triggers like a larger uprising in, 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 in the city. Uh, yes, so of course the, uh, those, those citizens were really surprised, shocked and upset. And so they, they organized, um, a citizens army. So it became really national troops versus citizens army struggles. So, um, and this citizens army, uh, were fighting quite well. And then the national troops, um, they, uh, they, um, they will hold. And then at 
that moment for about a week, um, citizens have a really peaceful and democratic community, which is well known. So it was a part of the pride that the Gwangju citizens have regarding May 18. But then, uh, on May 18, um, the national troops, uh, they gave a final warning. And, uh, because of the, those, uh, citizens, soldiers were concentrated in the, um, previous Jeol, uh, South Provincial Hall. And then the national troops warned that, so you can come out now or you will be killed. And then they actually killed many citizens. And there are a few hundred citizens that that end up getting getting killed, right? In the in the during this uh, uprising. Yeah, the the record is debatable, and then uh, it's uh, like um, three hundred to two thousand, according to different. Um, uh, so this what begins as student demonstrations ends up being a, an entire city rises yes. up against against the state uh, and. What is able to push out state authorities for 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 a short time before you get to May 18th, and that's the the, the final final showdown where you get several hundred people yes. who who die um, who died, and then uh, at that time, um, oh, the any mobility in or out of the city was allowed, uh, was not allowed, and then the media was not allowed to uh talk about it so the the city was uh um really isolated and then not many people knew about it and actually um because in, in korean media were quiet about it actually international media international media reporter secretly um you know uh secretly entered the city and then he the uh, the German one he talked about it and that's how people uh knew about it and later later more and more records were revealed hmm. so, but i think isn't the significance of 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 what happened on may 18th it's also part of there's a back there's a, a larger backlash to this within korea right this this sets this sets the country uh, in a direction towards towards democracy and the end of 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 military one party rule. Exactly, and then especially um, activists and college student activists, and then you know other activists, they secretly shared the news about it, and then that's that's why it uh, became even bigger news. And then I remember um, that um, in 1989, um, I was a college student, and then um, there was a video watching about this, um, you know, what happened in in Gwangju. And then uh, even the TV was a the you know the video was not clear, but anyway, people were bleeding, and the people were uh, being beaten up, and then you know. Um, and so on. Then I remember that we were watching it in a small t- 
television, yeah, in a student's lounge. And then, um, the soldiers, um, soldiers or police, police people came into the campus because it was, uh, it was not allowed to, for people to watch it. Although it wasn't really what happened. So am I understanding correctly, you're watching coverage of what happened in 1980, in 1989, as a student? Yes. And uh, you're saying it wasn't allowed to watch it then, or in 1989, or or yes. just the info, still at that point in time? Still, yes. So a lid was kept on on what happened for a long time. And, and what I thought was interesting is that you, you talk a lot about uh, how not only was the event silenced in terms of coverage of it, but it was it was cast in a particular political way, and the city was labeled in, in a in a particular way. Could you talk about that? How 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 were how was the city and how were this how were the people of of Guangzhou labeled by the government? Well, it was. Um... The label is uh, is strongly associated with uh, the city's image, and then um, um, like a negative image. Um, I think the the government, the military government, um, and the media all together uh, have described the city as uh, you know the city of um, 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 resistance and the rebel, rebel, and then, um, opportunist and even North Korean relate, North Korea related people. So they were arguing that, um, people in Gwangju are really rebellious and then opportunistic and they always betray people and, um, they resist. Uh, against anything, and then they are related to North Korea because uh, some of them were really North Korean spies. So, but unfortunately, even now, even now, some um, extreme right wing people, uh, from time to time, argue that there was there were North Korean spies in the among those people who participated in the Gwangju uh, May 18 demonstration. Okay, so this part I thought was fascinating is that I didn't realize the extent to which the shadow of, of the Korean War, it really, uh, how far that goes uh, yes. into the present. Uh, and so you're mentioning in the case of Gwangju, well, one way to delegitimize what happens is, is to cast them as traitors, to cast them as being in league with, with North Korea. And I think yes. you mentioned that that was like the worst thing that you could do to, to label somebody as being, as working, working with North Korea. First of all, the, you know, uh, the labor of a North Korea, um, you know, North Korea is, uh, well, North Korea, uh, related, related is, uh, is a really dangerous one. So, because people, uh, know that, uh, you can go to prison and then you can be jailed for many years just because of that, right? Because, uh, now the, uh, even now the Korean Peninsula is, uh, technically at war. So it means that North Korea is, um, 
Um, it's complicated, but according to the constitutional law, uh, uh, North Korea is not a country. It's, uh, it's an anti-governmental organization. So if I were related to North Korea, it would mean that I work for anti-government organization. So um, it is a really dangerous, scary uh, labor. Um, but still, you know, people argue that. And then um, um, although the May 18 special law um, kind of, uh, you know, the, uh, regulate for such such argument, people still talk about it. Okay. So on the one hand, what happened in Guangzhou uh, it gets silenced. Uh, the people get stigmatized as being North Korean sympathizers, but possibly traitors. But also what I thought was interesting is that it's this memory of the Korean War that has a major impact on, on the priorities in South Korea. Uh, and, yes. uh, and that you really can't understand the emphasis on economic development really at all costs without kind of tr- without understanding how the how the war affects the psyche maybe of the leadership of the state or maybe maybe the society in general yes it's it's, it's a very good question um well right now i i'm not sure how much i would say um that uh, how much the Korean War affected the Korean society, uh, but at least I think um, the uh, the effect of the Korean War is everywhere. Maybe it is quite embedded, you know, in the Korean culture. So, uh, so fast economic development was um, um, strongly driven by the national government. And then they usually ideologically use um, the, you know, the existence of uh, North Korea. So um, in the 1970s, um, actually North Korea was better off than South Korea. And then, and then there was a rivalry between North Korea and South Korea. Well, North Korea supported by, well, um, Russia and then, you know, South Korea supported by the, the U.S. economically. Um, and then, um, those dictators, um, and even later, um, civilian government, uh, really aggressively pursue the economic development and national economic development. And for that, they instrumentalized uh, urban development, uh, planning, uh, banks, and um, even private businesses. So, and then, so the mentality was that for national economic development, we should do something. You know, so um, I remember when I was a kid, um, my teacher one day told us that uh, what he he pointed. He pointed out that we are not working hard. We are not studying hard enough. And then he said that if you don't study hard and if you are not smarter than North Korean children and they will attack us, they will kill every one of you. 
So we were really scared, I remember. That's interesting, because I think that would really surprise most people today, because you're used to news stories about how impoverished North Korea is, uh, mm. to 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 learn that in the 1970s, there was a real economic competition and a fear that maybe the South might lose out to the North, right? Yes. And that seems to drive a lot of the policies of the leadership, right? It's a military that takes over, right, in 1961, and the emphasis is more on economic development than democracy. Do they see that as like a life or death struggle for the country? Yes. So, um, like, um, uh, including May 18, uh, demonstration, democratization, um, activities and the democratic movements were, uh, strongly criticized, um, to be against national, um, benefit. So that was a strong ideology. And then plus, uh, the North Korean, um, North Korean link. Yeah. It was a scariest one. One of the things I thought was interesting was on the one hand, you have this emphasis that you're, you're stressing on this life or death struggle between South and North Korea and the military seems to take charge. They feel like they're the only ones that can really win, win out in the struggle, promote development. And they do. South Korea they is did. modernized dramatically during that period. And a lot of the, the, the companies that we associate with the South Korean su- success stories, Samsung and LG and on and on, are really products of that particular era. Uh, and what I thought was interesting is that Guangzhou, not just in 1980, uh, it's not just affected by what happens because of 1980, that even before that, that there are older uh, regional histories that explain why it was neglected during this time where the government is really promoting development. And, and a lot of one of the big themes in your book is the importance of, of regionalism, right? And you right. stress that there are important regional tensions within Korea and primarily between this province where Guangzhou is located. Uh, and in a neighboring province uh, that uh, that a lot of South Korea's leaders during this this period of one party rule come from um, that that caused them to look at Guangzhou with a lot of suspicion and even though they're emphasizing development in the rest of Korea, uh, Guangzhou was kind of left out uh, 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 of that to a large extent yes um well, I think there are several um, factors. So it was, uh, they were all combined together. Um, as you said, um, Jeolla and the, you know, Gwangju uh, region, uh, didn't really, um, achieve the economic development, um, like based on, based on the, um, Manufacturing industries, because the region um, traditionally was a agricultural area, and then the, so manufacturing industry developed, um, and they were concentrated in Gyeongsang region, um, and then those uh, military dictators um, happened to come from that region, Gyeongsang region, so. 
Um, well, was that then, intentional? Were they favoring the region where they came from? Um, I'm not sure, but um, uh, Gyeongsang, Gyeongsang region have a produced uh, maybe more elites, more military and academic elite. And then, um, so, um, they were strengthening, strengthening the unbalanced development. And then it has been always argued or debated whether or not it was intentional, um, you know, the, uh, unequal development. But, um, anyway, the, the consequence uh, consequences of those uh, elite groups, um, the leadership, and then the uh, agriculture versus manufacturing, the traditional industries, and then and then this uh, uh, democratic uh, movement um, was that uh, Gwangju and Jeolla region um, were always less developed than Gyeongsang region, uh, but here. Now the situation is, uh, Gyeongsang or Jeolla, uh, uh, doesn't really matter much because uh, all development are, developments are concentrated so much in Seoul area. So, so everybody is disadvantaged by comparison to Seoul, you mean? Exactly. So even, even in the 1990s, when people were talking about, about Jeolla or, or Gyeongsang and then regionalism, negative regionalism against Jeolla region, I thought that, uh, maybe strongest regionalism is about Seoul, Seoul and non-Seoul. Anyway, it's a, that is a, uh, background, but regarding the disadvantages of Jolla, people are saying that there are two states, like a nation state. One is the you know government, you know, um, the state, and then the other one is Samsung. Um, Samsung is the symbol of uh, big corporations, um, so-called Jebel in South Korea, and it's because. Um, Big companies and small companies, even small companies, were reluctant to locate themselves in Gwangju because, um, and even if they did, uh, they didn't put the name of Gwangju or the name of Jeolla in the company's uh, name because uh, they thought that it will bring um, kind of prejudice and and then disadvantages. So if Guangzhou is disadvantaged historically, this is just compounded by May 18th, that after this, it's labeled as a traitorous area. Uh, companies, uh, major corporations are reluctant to invest. And I think you, you stress too, that this really affects people's life opportunities and possibilities too, in, in significant ways. Right. And then um, I think it's interesting because... Uh, well, in back in the 1990s, um, there was a uh, there was a saying that if you bring a you know marriage partner from that region who is from Gwangju or from um, Jeolla, your parents wouldn't like it, and uh, if your parents are from Gyeongsang region, they will freak out. Because they believe that um, you know people in 
in those areas um, are not really good people. However, now um, you can still see that kind of a comment, that kind of a negative and then, you know, negative comments based on no evidences um, on the Internet, you know, Internet um, uh, in blog or, or newspaper article commentary section and so on. However, now it is a much weaker, um, but it doesn't mean that that kind of a um, prejudices or negative image is gone. I think that Chosanjok, uh, Chosanjok, uh, who are like ethnic Koreans who were who, whose ancestors uh, moved to China and then who were raised in China and then moved to South Korea to work, mainly to work. Chosanjok or North Korean defectors um, or like uh, international migrants replaced them, replaced the Gwangju people. So they found other people to be suspicious of. Yes. So I thought that uh, because uh, um, uh, the Korean population is uh, ethnically um, like um, rather homogeneous compared to many other countries. So there was no like racism or, you know, ethnicity uh, controversies and then no hate crimes and regarding that. So that is probably that is why uh, regionalism was uh, quite strong and then the, uh, the mainly Gwangju and Jeolla people were the main target. And then now... Uh, it is not that strong because we have other minorities. Okay. So you have this event of May 18th that takes place. Uh, and this, as, as stifling as it is uh, to, to the city, and it continues to, to hurt development in the city, it eventually sets in, tra- it sets in motion uh, the democratization of, of South Korea. That, that happens by the end of the 1980s. You have the first really fair presidential elections. Then you have the first what, non-military president by the time you get to the early 1990s. And efforts are made to try to change the memory uh, or to change the image of, of the city, right? I think you already mentioned there's this May 18th special law. What was that, what was that special law? Uh, May 18th special law in 1995 was one example. Right. Yes. And then the, the, the first civilian government, um, they, um, um, uh, one of the, their major tasks were, uh, were, was to compensate, compensate for, um, you know, the, uh, the May 18. And then because they wanted to, differentiate themselves from uh, military government. And then the military governments, um, um, like uh, the May 18 was one of the major events that the military governments were uh, criticized for. So um, the civilian government, um, you know, uh, legalized this uh, uh, May 18 special law. And then according to the law, uh, victims were financially compensated and what well, victims were figured out and then how many were 
killed and how many were missing and injured and tortured and so on. And then they were financially compensated. And um, I think the law doesn't allow those uh, rumors, you know, rumors, negative rumors to be uh, spreaded. Okay. And around the same time, you have this cultural event that's taking place. Is, yes. is it pronounced biennial? Biennial? Uh, 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 yes, every two years. So there's a, there's this major cultural event, and the city is selected. And you, like you said, this is what drew you to the topic to begin with. Why would this smaller city be selected for this big cultural event? And why exactly. was it selected? I think it was the president's gesture um, for the compensation. Um, of uh, May 18. However, this specific, I mean, I'm saying that, that they have a really, that there was a, that kind of intention. However, this particular event, um, the decision making was a, uh, um, kind of accidental and then compl- complicated. I learned later. Um, because um it was not it was uh, it wasn't Gwangju at first um because somebody was against the decision making however Gwangju the city of Gwangju lobbied quite actively and then you have to understand that it is not like a given uh externally only because at that time around this uh, 19 um in the 1990s uh Gwangju elite Elites, um, you know, the financial, um, economic and the political and then academic elites, they got together because they were so concerned about the regional development because it, it, it was, uh, it was not really happening. So they shared the ideas why, why the regional development is, um, um, what kind of a problem develop, uh, regional development faced? And then according to the survey they organized, um, they, well, they asked some, like three different universities in Seoul and then Gwangju, uh, to do, um, what well, the respondents say that the Gwangju's image is quite negative and then political. And, you know, the, the, it was called, as uh, the city of blood, yeah, and then, um, and then the political political image was the the barrier of uh, um, of the economic development. It was the conclusion. So that's why they um, tried to do many things for regional development, and then one of them is. Uh, um, to host to host this uh, um, event, Biennale, the international art exhibition, and at that time, um, um, like a city uh, city government and the regional government, they restarted the election. Before before city mayors were. Uh, s- you know, appointed by the national government, and then the election started. So it means that, um, like elected elected mayors and governors, they they became more entrepreneurial than before. 
not just managerial. It means that they wanted to uh, actively and proactively host events, and then they pursue some special programs for economic development and so on. So all these factors come together in 19. Uh, 95, there was, when there was opportunity of hosting, uh, the Biennale, the city of Gwangju, those elites, um, really tried to lobby for, for that host. Okay. So there's concern among the local elites about uh, the need for Gwangju, uh, to, to develop more. It's been left behind, uh, for, for a number of years. And uh, there's talk about this big cultural event. So they see that as an opportunity. And at the same time, like you mentioned, the country is decentralizing. You have elections now for, for local officials, the mayor in particular. They're looking for opportunities to develop the city too. So they, uh, they see this as, as a good opportunity for the city. So these people who are pushing for this event do they uh, do they necessarily care about the memory of what happened in integrating the memory of what happened in May 18th uh, which and that's kind of the focus of your book is well how do these things intersect these these elites who uh, whether business people the mayor uh, uh, who are concerned about the development of the city uh, and then also you have this memory of what happened in the past how do you reconcile the two when they're lobbying for the cultural event, is that is that one of their concerns? Is that just something that arises later on? Uh, what well, later? Because uh, um, those people uh, saw the uh, the result of the survey that the political image and uh, was the barrier of Gwangju's uh, economic development. So of course they didn't they didn't mean to care about. May 18 or memories of May 18, um, any, anything relate, related to that as a, as a part of uh, the Gwangju Biennale. Um, it was opposite. They tried to remove that image and then, um, um, maybe it was, uh, uh, it was a reflection of the intention or just it was accidental, but the, the first, um, the, um, the winner, winner artwork of the first Gwangju Biennale was, uh, uh, titled To Forget. So, funny. yes. So, um, I, uh, I can imagine that people really upset, uh, by, by the news. And then, uh, one, uh, famous singer made a song, uh, because of that. Because he, he later on, um, I, I think it was just some years ago, he later on said that he made a song remembering the, his song was titled Remembering, um, to be against the winner artwork yeah so maybe i mean the artwork was not of course not to say that to forget may 18 but just that the title to forget provoked people and then um that's uh and plus uh, the uh, the city government um uh tried too much <laughs> too much to achieve uh, like a big audiences 
And then because it was their main target, they wanted to have a really, have a successful event, successful Gwangju Biennale, uh, in 1998, those uh, artists and then artists and civil society members who cared about May 18, um, they were not satisfied at all. And then they were critical, very critical about the mobilization of people, instrumentalization of artwork for uh, the urban development. So they organized, an, uh, you know, anti biennale so they organized their own kind of counter uh, event, right? Yes. And and you stress too that they do it at a very particular place, right? There, there there's a specific location. What what's the significance of the, the place they choose to have this this counter yes. event? They chose uh, Mangwoldong. Mangwoldong was uh, the cemetery for the uh, May 18 victims, and then. Um, because uh, uh, those victims were just killed and then, you know, uh, on the street and so on. And even carrying them and burying them was not allowed. So um, at that time, victims, families, relatives and friends, they secretly carried those dead bodies uh, to Mangwoldong um and then the those pictures of uh, them doing it, and then the stories are really sad. So Mangwoldong um, has become the you know the, uh, the very special place for um, activists, political activists, and then anybody who cared about democratization and the May 18. And then the um, those are. Uh, anti-Biennale organizers, they chose this um, this place as an exhibition site. So this this uh, cemetery was really like a prominent site of, of, of memory connected to that, uh, what happened in May 18th, and it was a place where pro-democracy advocates right, would make pilgrimages to, right, to remember the past and to call for a different different future. Yes, so, um, well, on the one hand, um, they, um, like, uh, you know, the, uh, the choice elaborated, elaborated, um, you know, uh, what happened uh, in 1980 and then, um, why this uh, history is uh, still important, why people are still traumatized by what happened. Uh, and on the other hand, um, the political image, political color of the place has also uh, slightly changed, like culturally and artistically, because it it was used as an art exhibition um, place. So people, um, those visitors, um, realized that um, those semi- cemeteries uh, made a really excellent 
art exhibition. Yeah. And at the same time, the art exhibition made the cemetery, um, like differently special. So I think it was really, uh, good choice. And then I visited there and then, um, there were many, many people. And then, uh, those people who couldn't, um, understand the history, uh, you know, in details asked me, asked me others, uh, you know, many questions. And I think you mentioned too, this anti-biennial, this counter event ends up becoming even more successful than, than the biennial, than, than the, what's supposed to be the premier event. It draws, yes, ends it up drawing a, even more people. It was most successful. It, it, um, um, without mobilization, it, um, um, had a like biggest audiences. Okay, so if if the memory of of May eighteenth is left out of the first biennial, but it's included in this counter exp- exhibition, this anti biennial, uh, what happens in years afterwards? Because this is an event that takes place every two years, right? Is it, and it's still continuing. It's uh, still so continuing. How 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 do things change? Is there recognition of the concern of 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 people in Guangzhou that this, this memory of May 18th needs to be included in the event. Is, is there an effort to respond to that? Right. I, I thought at that time, I thought that, well, this anti Biennale will be, um, um, great, like a pair of the Guangzhou Biennale. However, uh, unlike my expectation, um, they would, I mean, the, the anti, uh, Biennale was just immediately integrated into the main Biennale. Um, because, um, well, the, the, the director of uh, the anti Biennale, uh, was appointed as the director of the Guangzhou Biennale, the main Biennale. And then, um, when that happened, uh, anti Biennale, people, I think they made a compromise, a big compromise, uh, quite easily because, uh, uh, later I, um, I realized why, um, you know, by conducting interviews, um, they were afraid. They were afraid if they, um, um, they like hurt, they would hurt or their, anti-biennale um uh the event would hurt the Guangzhou's fortune so for example the, i mean this uh, this Guangzhou biennale was a, like rare opportunity yeah and then the their city finally had and then they were really afo- afraid to spoil it okay and i think this is the, f- the again this is the focus of your book that you have this intersection of concerns about the economic development of the city uh, and also the memory of what happened in the past. They, these things come to a head uh, with this first event in 1980, uh, the, right. and the two events and they, they go off in very different directions. One ignores the past, one focuses on it. And then as the event takes place again, they're integrated. The two are integrated, but I think you're saying that, um, those people who took part in the counter event, who were concerned about preserving the memory of May 18th, eventually 
they they don't want that to overshadow the success of the event right that they're uh, that economic concerns override uh concerns about preserving the memory of that of that past exactly i i think that their patriotism towards uh guangzhou was also product of may 18 because uh they have been under um the discrimin discrimination and uh, investigation investigation on Guang, uh, may 18 was uh, uh, going on for a decade and then uh, um so they as a result they have uh, created a kind of a um Gwangju's, uh, like a strong collective identity so th- so the idea that they have to protect their city was strong as much as they were critical about any um bureaucratic and the non um democratic um administration and management so they were on the uh, on the one hand they were critical about what the city government did how the city government organized the event but on the other hand they wanted to contribute rather than um you know the um uh hurt hurt the uh, the event okay so uh, is it fair to say they were concerned if they uh, pushed their this political memory agenda too far they might they were afraid that maybe this event would just go someplace else the government exactly. might place it someplace else i mean it was fear in the end that that got them everyone was concerned about the economic development of the city but that became more of a priority out of concerns that um they didn't want to lose the event yes and then the thing is that the nation the the uh, the event was a national project so it means that funding and the, and the even people uh are from Seoul the national government so it means that uh if local people are uh, uh hurting the event too much um they imagined that uh, it is possible that the national government can take um, the money and people from Guangzhou and go to somewhere else. And it is still going on in South Korea because it's, uh, it's, uh, the, the nation state is quite, um, powerful and, yeah. um, it still, um, it still, uh, drives, uh, urban and regional development pretty much. Okay. So you have this, uh, biennial uh, event that happens uh, in 1995, and as you mentioned, it still continues into the present. And ha- so, has May 18th just completely disappeared o- o- no. over that time period, or is it just been watered down? Well, actually, the uh, the anti biennale um, event um, brought about a huge impact on the nature of the biennale. Um, Oh, when, um, okay, there were several, like, occasions, occasions when, um, people out, outside, uh, severely criticized Gwangju Biennale. And then every time the nature of it and then the organization of the, uh, um, 
the administration and then the the members of the Gwangju Biennale have been changed. So later, artists and uh, civil society members entered the Gwangju Biennale events and then they worked as uh, staff. So um, Gwangju Biennale over time gradually uh, have become integrated with uh, May 18. So the it was quite interesting that the image of uh, um, the value and the image or artwork of uh, related to May 18 have been uh, increasing. And then now, now it's um, um, people take it for granted that the May, uh, the Gwangju Biennale is, uh, uh, it's quite critical about what is going on in the society. And then it has political messages. And then May 18 is obviously is related to some of the artworks. So you see it, do you see it as, as a success, success story in the end where they found a balance between creating this event that draws uh, people to the city, uh, puts the city on the map, makes it in, into a, a, a cultural place, a cultural destination, but at the same time, they're preserving the memory of their, their past. Yes, yes. Uh, however, um, the process was not really uh, smooth. Um, people, um, as I said, the people, you know, the uh, those critical people enter the structure of the Biennale, they worked together, and then you can imagine that uh, um, those bureaucrats who were, you know, like explicitly instrumentalizing um, culture and art, um, and those artists, um, popular artists, and then civil society members, they had a so such different. Uh, worker styles, yeah. So they worked together for the Gwangju Biennale. Uh, it was um, um, painful, according to them. <laughs> and then they, these both groups um, uh, said that they were really um, angry and then shocked by so such different people. And then they complained a lot about each other. However, over time, although although those bureaucrats were um, not same people because they were like, um, um, according to the uh, Korean bureaucracy system, they the people uh, were changed every two years or so. Um, still. Um, like uh, newcomers heard about what happened and then they learned how to work with artists and civil society members. So um, the atmosphere um, became better uh, gradually. Heiran Shin, thank you so much for for taking time to talk with me on your Sunday morning. I I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Heiran Shin is a professor of human geography at Seoul National University. I've been talking with her today about her book, The Cultural Politics of Urban Development in South Korea, Art, Memory, and Urban Boosterism in Gwangju. Next month, we'll turn to the memory of militarized prostitution under Japanese rule during the Asia-Pacific War, 
with a particular focus on the less studied case of Indonesia. I'll be talking with University of Melbourne professor Kate McGregor about her book, Systemic Silencing, Activism, Memory, and Sexual Violence in Indonesia. If you've enjoyed this or other episodes of Realms of Memory, word of mouth is always the best way to inform others. Please tell a friend or review us on your favorite podcast app. I'm Rick Dadarian. See you soon.